two then. Uh, let's pick up our gospel text for today, which is uh, Luke chapter 21, verses uh, 25 to 36. Luke chapter 21, verses uh, 25 to 36. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in, power, uh, coming in a cloud with power because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer is already near. So you also, when you see these things take place, you know that your redemption, the kingdom of God, is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape these things which are going to take place, to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so um, in Advent, what are we looking at? What's Advent about? The coming of Christ. And so we can go through, you know, the ways that this happens. Um, but when we talk then about the coming of Christ, we don't just mean Christmas, do we? What else do we mean? Yeah, there, there's a second one again which is what our text is about today. And, and there's also just, what? The tents get overlooked every time. Yeah. Where does Christ show up here and now? Where does Christ advent? How? How does Christ advent here? Yeah, through word and sacrament. God is truly present here. God comes to his people. Um, bringing all of the things that he, that he talked about. Um, when we talk about these things, um, there's, there's a thing that God does that always accompanies him showing up somewhere. Um, he gives signs that it will be, right? We're going to talk about those today. Um, the signs of, of God's advent. Um, and so we can do it in, in each one. Um, but every time God gives a sign, sinners tend to do something, well, sinful with it. It's kind of in our nature. And so we're going to kind of talk about these and, and where things have gone off kilter before and how they are now and how they're likely to again. Uh, so that as we deal with the signs that God does give, because in our gospel lesson today, we're, we're confronted with, well, do we see those signs even now? Distress of nations, fear and foreboding, people trembling upon what is coming on the earth, all sorts of uh, natural disasters, great stuff like that. It's fun times, really. Yeah. Um, when we talk about all these things, then, we need a way to actually deal with the signs that are right in front of us. And so if we're going to do it um, based on the second coming, we, we ought to start then with uh, the, there were signs that Christ would come to his people before, right? It's like we could even go to Isaiah 7.14, which is a very common verse and you all know it. Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There was an Old Testament prophecy that there would be a virgin birth, right? Was this a sign 
of an advent. So here, um, Isaiah is dealing with the evil king Hezekiah, I believe. And yeah, he says, I don't need no signs because, honestly, he's not paying attention anyway. And that's, that's the real issue. Um, and so the, the Lord, uh, through the prophet, says, if you're going to mock God, fine, here's your sign. Um, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There is a sign that comes along with God's coming. In other words, when Christ was born of a virgin, um, should it have surprised anyone who he was? No. Should it have even surprised, well, Joseph, a faithful man? There might be a reason that he didn't divorce his wife quietly, and it wasn't just because he was a swell dude. I'm serious. We, we tend to just sort of say, Joseph was just far more, um, he, he, was, he was woke compared to all of the other people around him back at that time. He was much more socially progressive. And so he recognized that, of course, all of those, those awful misogynists would have totally, you know, had their wives put to death um, for adultery. But Joseph, being um, as, as um, culturally evolved as we are, would never do such a thing. He would, he would just sort of roll with it. We say Joseph is a very kind man. Um, I'm not trying to disparage him by any means. But what if he actually knew this prophecy of old because he was also a faithful man? And so when his wife said, this is of the Holy Spirit, instead of just saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're lying, but I'm not going to kill you because that would be mean. What if he says, well, this must be Emmanuel, who is God with us. Do you see what I'm saying? When you're actually looking for what the signs mean, when they come upon you, you deal with them differently. We can do this also in uh, John 1.29, where John the Baptist is preaching, and all of a sudden Jesus walks by, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And again, um, this is a sign. There was a sign. It was actually an ongoing sign that lasted for many, many hundreds of years. Um, it was the whole temple sacrificial system. It was a sign of what was to come. In other words, when they put to death animals in the temple, what was this pointing towards? Christ's sacrifice upon the cross, where he would be the, the one to bleed and die to take away our sins, right? And so when John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, everybody said, Oh, Jesus is very cuddly and we should love him which is how it's taught in Sunday school more often than not, sad to say. Not here, I don't think, but I, I mean, I've seen it a lot of times where Jesus being the Lamb of God just basically means Jesus is like a petting zoo where you should go and hug him. When John says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, everybody paying attention should recognize what John is saying about him. He's about to go do what? He's about to go be bled out. He's about to be sacrificed. This is the one who's going to die for us. The signs of the Old Testament were pointing to exactly who Jesus was. He is God with us. And so if you were paying attention to the signs, and not just that there were signs happening, but even what they meant, would Jesus be a surprise in the incarnation in any way, shape, or form? We, we treat it like these are two different, completely different religions. That, that um, the Old Testament people had no idea this was going on. God completely threw them a curveball by sending forth his own son into the world. And that's why nobody recognized it. When in truth, we saw the signs. We knew the temple worship was important. We, we read the prophet. But we stopped looking for what the signs meant. 
And so we lost sight of God. Are you kind of with me on this? I mean to talk about this so that when we start to deal with the text today, the Advent text, um, we can start to, to confront all the signs that are going on in this world because it's given um, over and over again all sorts of signs about the last day of Christ. Um, I'm going to read you a couple. Let's go 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What do we know about the last day, the advent of Christ, the second coming? Not the rapture, no. Go to timeout. Um... Because this is actually, I mean, this is a, something to talk about, though. Um, how, how many of you guys know what the, the rapture is? We don't teach it in our church, so if you don't, I'm okay with it. It was, uh, it was actually a fantasy novel. Um, it, they, they, they were not great. Um, I, I read them. Like, they were, they were just poor literature, um, let alone um, actually teaching scripture. So there, there is a, a teaching... Um, by evangelicals, um, Protestants, um, not all of them, but, but um, some of them, that Christ would um, essentially come back and then come back again. This is called a millennialist view, a millennialist view of the end times, that there, there will be a, a literal 1,000-year reign where the, the uh, return of Christ takes place. And so when Christ decides to start it, he'll take up everybody who uh, does believe, and they'll just sort of disappear, snap, um, it, yeah, like the Avengers movie. Um, and um, then after a thousand years, he will actually return. And during that thousand years, then there will be all those literal trials and tribulations so that everybody who's not a Christian can have a second chance. Um, and um, we don't mean that because Christ doesn't say, I'm coming, but not really, but then I'll actually come. Which is actually how they teach about the church, if you think about it. We set up church and we say, I'll be here, but not really. That's not actually my body or blood, but I, I will one day. Um, in, a, in essence, that it leaves God an out so that he doesn't have to be as wrathful. Um, I, I can see the connection between um, the rapture and purgatory. Because purgatory, again, the place where you, you um, atone for sins that you didn't bother to confess to your priest. Um, purgatory also being the place where um, the people who just never had the chance to hear about the gospel um, have a chance to work off their own ignorance um, and then eventually enter the kingdom. We have a problem with God showing up like a thief in the night is really what it kind of comes down to. It bothers us that God shows up like a thief. It bothers us. Does even the sun know when the last day will be? No. Um, not, not even he knows. Um, and it's problematic because we can't ask him. In, in Acts chapter 1, right as the New Testament church is going to, to, to get going, Jesus is taken up into heaven. And everybody looks at each other and says, well, now what? And the apostles, how long did they think it was actually going to take? They were expecting it in their own lifetime. They were, they were shocked. Um, and so we've kind of grown weary as time has gone on. Let's go Mark chapter 13. We're going to spend some time in Mark 13 today. 
Right, and that's something everybody always asks about. This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place, but all those people are dead. So what do you do with that? And there's been people who've tried with it um, in, in different ways, shapes, and forms. Um, the one I kind of fall to the most is simply, are we so different from those people? This generation that Jesus always talks about, he doesn't name them by a, a time frame. He doesn't name them by, by their parents. And that's how we normally sort of judge this generation. Because, I mean, when all you guys want to complain to me about this generation, what you mean is millennials. This generation with their iPhones and their computers. This generation with their premarital sex. This generation, and then you'll go on. But you don't mean anything other than people born from like the 80s until now. Because surely you have nothing to do with them. I guarantee you that before computers, nobody ever had premarital sex. I guarantee you that before computers, nobody was ever rude to a teacher. I'm, I'm sure of it. I wasn't alive for it, but I've, I've been told that um, there, there was basically no sin until my generation came along. No. Over and over again, proverb. Huh? Yeah. Um, there was this time called the 60s where I guess a lot of you forgot some stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's no room in purgatory because of the priests? I, I don't think that, um, I'm, I'm not even going to touch the joke about salvation there. So, I mean, when it comes to that, honestly, um, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, to, to sin that way, to hurt other people in that way. Um, like, did Jesus die for it? Yes. Um, if, if you think you'll get on, in on account of your office, well, God can raise up stones from Abraham. So um, where there is not genuine repentance and faith, yeah, there, there's a lot that the purgatory won't burn off. There's a lot that the cross already did, though, so we return there. Um, when it comes to this generation, I tend to take the Proverbs approach. There is nothing new under the sun. There was abuse in the sexual abuse in the church during Luther's day. Um, and, and it was gross then, and he had great problems with it. It was where Luther started saying, priests maybe ought to be married. That, that maybe ought not be a thing that we just try and contain because it doesn't stay put. Um, there is nothing new under the sun. And so even though we, we, we all sort of pick a target generation and say, you guys, and if you're all, one of my generation, you say, you baby boomers. You baby boomers left us no jobs and all your debt. Come on. Um, and um, really, in truth, we just start throwing rocks at each other. And so we show just how connected we are. This generation has not passed away. We're doing the same dumb stuff to each other that we were 2,000 years ago. Not a thing has changed. And until Christ returns, we're going to be sinners. Right, which is why Israel never had any problems with behavior. They weren't sold into captivity twice. Um, we can say, you know, the law was much more effective back then. Um, I can say the punishments were a lot harsher. But the odd thing is, right, so watch Moses deal with the Israelites through the desert and tell me the law is much more effective. Um, and it's not that I believe that it is ineffective. It's that I believe that sinners are obstinate, um, which is what... Moses keeps calling them, you, you hard-nosed people, you hard-headed people, you Germans. Um, there was literally a pillar of fire following them around at night, and they thought of nothing but complaining. There was a time 
when God in his, his wrath over this sends forth serpents that bit and killed the people lest they looked to the bronze serpent raised upon the pole for their salvation. And after that, people were good for like, what, a day and a half before they started whining again. It was sin that was hung upon the tree for your salvation. Yeah, sin. He overcame by becoming that and then being put to death. The serpent was murdered on the tree. Good. No, that's, that's a good connection to wrestle with. Um, because, yeah, we don't worship the creature that caused the fall. Um, but we do rejoice in the fact that he was robbed of his power at that moment. The serpents that were killing all the people were robbed of their power as soon as the tree, as soon as the cross. They had no more power. They couldn't do anything. It didn't even say the serpents went away either in that text, does it? It just says that not only did you get bit, but you lived anyway. That Yes, sin was there. Yes, it still hurt. But it would no longer destroy. It would no longer kill. The signs are important for just this reason. Um, this is exactly what we're talking about. That when we lose sight of what the signs are actually talking about, um, we really start to freak out about these texts. And we start to do really weird stuff. So when we're given end times texts, what do we start to do? Huh? We look at the signs and we stop looking at what they point to. And so, what if I can predict the end of the world? That'd be great. Right. I, well, I mean, obviously I'm going to have to change the date because we've been wrong so far. Um, or um, we could take the Jehovah Witness approach, which was very clever, and they said it was the spiritual end of the world. You just didn't see it happen. Um, which, seriously, guys. Um, but, I mean, I understand it because I, I was a student. Um, and so I was told, if your paper is due, I don't know, what's today? So if your paper is due December 12th, what day am I going to start working on my paper? Right. If... My professor says, at some point in time during this semester, I'm going to call you up and you will present your paper to the class, but I won't tell you when. <laughs> There's fear and foreboding. Because, yeah, all of a sudden now I've got to be ready all the time. If I know when the end is, you know what? I'm going to eat and drink and be merry because I know what day. I mean, if your parents go out of town and they tell you when they're getting back, you know how long you have to clean up after the party. And we take this approach... And we act like it's fine, which is why we really want to know. Because deep down, we're afraid we're not ready. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Like a thief in the night. Not only do we never know, um, even the son never knows. Which is something that, that we've kind of wrestled with. Where the father withholds this information even from the son. The, la the day of the, the return. Um, I want to go to Mark chapter 13. I'm going to pick up at verse, uh, I'm going to read 6 through 13 and then nine through, 19 through 22. I'm going to skip a little bit just for time's sake. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 beginning at verse 6. Mark, excuse me, Mark 13 beginning at verse 6. Thank you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. 
but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines, but these are just the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness to them. I'm going to skip uh, just a little bit for the sake of uh, time, down to uh, verse uh, 19. For those days there will be such tribulation that has not been from the beginning of creation that God had created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened their days. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there is the Christ, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. What's happening in the last days? I want to see if you catch the real danger. Good. False prophets are the real danger. It says there are going to be earthquakes, there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Don't worry about those. Like, honestly, those are the signs. Look to what they point to. What do the signs all point to? The, the end times, the return of Christ on the last day to judge the living and the dead. Should you be afraid of the last day? Why? Because you're baptized, because you're saved, because you are washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. You've got nothing to be afraid of on the last day. And in fact, the last day for you will be a great joy. Because all the stuff that's breaking down now will be fixed. Yourselves included. So, when you see wars and rumors of wars, our gospel text says, look at the fig tree. When it comes out in leaf in the spring, you know that summer is near. When you see the leaves start to bud on the trees, is that a good thing or a bad thing? By March, that's a very good thing. I'm done with this winter business by March. I love it right now. March, I'm sick of it. Yes? Exactly. Exactly. We're in the last times right now. So I look around and I say, I see wars and rumors of wars. That must be this. So the end is going to be Tuesday. We've been in the end times since Christ descended. Right. This is the end. World War II, too. Yeah. You know what, and we, we can't even just say just, like Luther was pretty convinced he was going to see it in his day too, um, which is how you're supposed to be. It's not bad to expect to see it. We pray, come Lord Jesus, and we actually mean it. We want to see the end because I don't really want to die. Right. So we lose sight of the promise for the signs. The danger comes in since I know when that day will be, I don't have to blank. Stop. Take a step back. See what Mark is really more concerned about during these last times, which started with Christ, continue to now, and might end any moment, hopefully God willing, before church is over on Sunday. Um, like, see, this is my point. Perfect. So there's cookies this afternoon, and I want to eat them. And so we say, God, you come later. I got stuff I got to do first. Really? You think about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, and my wife makes good cookies. But are you really going to put her cookies above the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting? You do this with so many things, though. I did this, too. Lord, let me get married before you come back. Lord, let me raise some kids before you come back. Lord, come back before they have to face these things. Let me tell you when. 
because the signs are all I can pay attention to. I want to do the fun things and not experience the bad things, so how can we sort of thread this needle just so, so that I can avoid rush hour traffic? What's the exact thing they're doing? That's my point. Of all the false prophets that arise and say, here's the Christ, don't, and Jesus says, don't go there. Don't look there. They're doing these things. They're saying, this is how you either predict the end and avoid the things you don't like, or this is how you thread the needle, pick and choose the things you want, and get rid of the ones you don't. This is how you have it all. And this is what the false prophets do. They either say, here's the Christ, I am the Christ, give me your money. Or, they say, it's on you, figure it out. Work. Pray. Do something. And in all of it, the signs overwhelm us. That's what makes the end times so dangerous. It's not the wars and rumors of wars. It's not the natural disasters. Honestly, our civilization has thrived in the end times for the last couple thousand years. These things cannot destroy us. Not as all people. Not with God, who is working for us and through us and in us and for us. If these things were as, as deadly to a, to a civilization as, as we thought so, we shouldn't be here right now. Civilizations have risen and fallen since Christ was incarnate, right? There's no more Pilate in Rome. I don't know if America will be here in another 2,000 years. I don't know. But until Christ returns, will there be people? So don't worry so much about the signs. Worry about the false prophets. Because they're the ones who are doing the most damage. Are you kind of with me in this? So what do we do right now then? Good. What have we been given to do? Yeah. What else do we do? Stay awake. I'm going to keep going in Mark 13. I'm going to start at uh, verse, I'm going to do 23 and then pick up at 33. Mark 13, 23. Be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. And then again, uh, picking up at verse 33. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Last he comes suddenly and find you asleep. And again, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So, in the yeah. You don't got a rooster? No. Yeah, a cell phone. You get a, you get a ringtone. That'd be all right. So, again, don't look so much to the sign and look to what it means. Don't look so much to the rooster. Look to what the rooster means. Huh? Right. So, I haven't had, you lived through an earthquake in Nebraska? I haven't. So does that mean there's no end times for me because I haven't had an earthquake? Seriously. Is this how you want to do it? Like, I don't have a rooster, so clearly I can't, I can't experience the end times. This is what I say to you, and I've said it beforehand. Stay awake. I have told you all this beforehand. What do we do? We return to what we've been told beforehand. If you want to live just in the signs, you're right. Like, honestly, I have not experienced a war like your generations have experienced. I've lived in war so long, but it's been, I mean, compared to 
Vietnam, let alone World War II, let alone Korea, let alone World War I, let alone the Civil War. Each time, right, okay. So have you lived through something like that? So clearly there's no end times for you. No, that's not what we're told to do. In fact, we're told to stay awake not by getting too involved in the science to try and predict when the master will return, because he comes at any hour. So he says, look, do what you've been given to do, but stay in the things which you have been told beforehand. That's verse 23. Verse 23 is actually how we start to deal with the end times. Uh, Mark 13, 23, and again it reads, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. How are you to stay on guard? Yeah, we stay in the word. We embrace the sacraments. We receive them. And so that as we go about to live in our vocations, does it matter when it, the end day is? Like, does it matter if, if it's when I'm young or old? How will I be raised up? Whole. Does it matter if it's in the beginning of my work or the end of my work? No. So, assume that Christ would come any moment and assume that even if he is delayed, my neighbor still needs care, so I'm going to have a sermon ready just in case I do actually have to preach before Christ comes back in an hour. Um, in the meanwhile, my, my awakeness, my, my guard, comes from returning to the Word, where God has told us all these things beforehand, so that as we start to experience this, as we grow tired, as we just deal with the day-to-day -day life, what's promised to us over and over again? God is with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Which is how we deal with the signs today. Um, because we do it every bit as much. Um, we, we lose sight of the signs in church for what they point to. And so we, we do two things in church. Um, because this is, Luther said we're, we're all like drunk guys trying to climb on a horse. Um, he says you, you, you drink too much and so you try to climb up the horse and you just plop right over the other side. And you get up and you dust yourself off and you, you yell at the horse something. You try to do it the other side, fall right back over. You push too hard. We do, tend to do two things in church. We either want to make church all about the emotional experience or we want to make church all about the, um, the opus operandi, the doing of the thing. So if I can say the perfect mass, if we can be so traditional in our service, not like those, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like those contemporary worshipers. Well, somehow in, in our liturgical purity, we will bring about something that otherwise isn't there. We lose sight of what the signs are for looking at them. And so when we come to church, especially this time of year, we do it because the church looks beautiful. Like it looks fuller. We've got a big, big sanctuary, uh, especially for a little country church. And so when we fill it all up with flowers, we've got plenty of room for flowers and nativities and lots of poinsettias, tree, lights. What do these things point to? Right. So why do you only want to sing Christmas hymns and not Advent hymns? Because they make me feel good. I like them. They're pretty. When we talk about these, it's not that Christmas hymns are bad. Christmas hymns are wonderful. So are Advent hymns. Because they point to Christ. Emmanuel. God with us. We do it here as well. What is communion? Why do we do this thing? Because we're commanded to. Is it a sign? Don't be so particular. Why is it not a sign? What's a sign? 
It's called that. The whole book of John calls Jesus' miracles what? They're all signs. They're evidence of his presence to help. When we lose sight of the signs, um, meaning for the actual look of them, we sort of lose sight. And so when Jesus turns a whole bunch of water into wine, we love party Jesus. I'm serious. I love party Jesus. He tells me it's okay that I have a bottle of bourbon in my living room. Take that, Baptists. Saying. I love party Jesus. He's pretty cool with everybody having fun at a wedding. So I don't see why I got to have all these rules. Love party Jesus. What did this sign mean? If you can't tell me that, I don't care if you turn water into wine. Hmm? Not only was it compassion, he turned the water into wine and ceremonial rites of purification jars. We don't need those old rites of washing anymore. We have something new that makes us holy to stand before God. What was it? Yeah. He did something nobody else could do. Sure. Cool. Um, when we talk about what the signs actually point to, when we deal with them, we can deal with them in, in truth and purity. And so communion then, it's, it's no longer an argument of whether or not we have it every week or once every quarter. And it's no longer an argument over whether or not it's open communion or closed communion. It's simply, is that God on the altar for the forgiveness of your sins? If it is, we're going to deal with it a certain way. And if it isn't, we're going to deal with it a certain way. But what do we believe this bread and wine that's held up to you and says, the peace of the Lord be with you always? What are they? What do they point to? It is Jesus for you. It is the gospel. When we lose sight of that, all we got left to do is bicker over the signs and the meaning of them. What did Jesus mean when he said is? What do the last times really mean? I'm sure this is a war and a rumor of war, but is it the war and rumor of war? Can we pick the end day? Rather, just receive it and know this is a sign that Christ is here for you. That's why he gives you these things. As he sends out the apostles at the end of Matthew, we, we love to call it the Great Commission. It, it's, do what you want. But he says, when you're going into all nations, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. He gives them signs for the modern day church that we would know God is actually here with us and for us. Does God need water and bread and wine to be here? He managed it before. Why would he contain himself the infinite contained in the finite in water in bread and wine for you for you to see we need the sign that's the whole point of the sign we need the sign because it makes us see what is going on but when we lose sight of what's going on for just the, the, the sign all i can tell you is jesus walked on water all i can tell you is he turned water into wine but i can't tell you why and i can't do it and i can't see it so whatever I can look to the times of the end times and I can say everything's terrible, but I don't know what it means. And there's fear and foreboding upon the earth. And so he says, stay awake. And we do this by looking to what the signs actually mean. So when you see the bread and the wine held up, after the words of institution are spoken, where Jesus himself, through your priest, through your pastor, he says, this is my body for you. You can know. What does the sign point to? Emmanuel, God with us. Is God here for you in a meaningful way? Or is God everywhere and there's no difference between here and anywhere else? Because if there is no difference between here and McDonald's, McDonald's has a play place. And so I can tell you which one my kids will want to do better. 
And so why would I make them sit through an hour at church when I can just sort of shuffle them off to a room and let them play? Well, is God here? And does Jesus say, let the little children come to me? If there is no difference between here and a concert, well, I know which one I would rather be at. I'm going to make you sing Advent hymns today unless there are enough of you that we get through all into the last communion hymn. Because the Christmas hymns, I stick at the end of communion so that if y'all come to church, you can sing a Christmas hymn. I'm cool with that. Um, Y'all got to come to church. I'm just saying. Um, But we're going to sing a couple Advent hymns. I'm okay with that bribery. That's okay. Um, We sing, Lo, he comes on clouds descending because we want to see what the signs actually mean. If God is here in a meaningful way, will that change how we behave here? Do kids talk differently when your parents are around or not? I know that your parents exist, but there's a difference between your parents existing and your parents being in the room to overhear what you're saying. If God is here in a meaningful way, maybe we'll dress up a little bit. We don't have to. I'm not saying we'll get kicked out if we don't. But if he's actually on that altar under bread and wine, when I get up there, I'm going to take a knee. It's not that he stops being God if I'm standing. It's that if that is actually God, the same God that put people flat on their faces throughout the entirety of the Bible, I don't know why it'd be different now. I don't know why I'd want to make it about me and how I feel at this exact moment. Beautiful, the, the, the really beautiful poetry, the really beautiful music. If I tell you that a sunset made me happy, it's not the same thing as telling you why. If I can write a poem about how a sunset made me feel, what you know is me. If I can write a, poetry, a poem about the sunset in such a way that you can see the sunset and recognize my feeling, I wrote you a poem about the sunset. There's a difference between um, church talking about how it makes us feel, which tells, us, tells nobody anything about anything other than ourselves, or church representing God in such a way that people can take a look at it and say, I understand why you feel that way. We get this whole worship thing so hung up on emotions when the fact that we have emotions because God gave them to us and they're good. They're not bad. It's not bad to feel happy. It's not bad to feel praise. It's not bad to feel joy and it's not bad to feel tears. Don't lose sight of what the signs point to for the signs themselves. Instead, simply focus on what the signs mean. And so, in the same way, if you feel something in worship, that's not bad. That's probably good. But if I'm going to share why I felt it, I'm not just going to tell you how I felt. I'm going to tell you what's there that made me feel that way. Are you kind of with me? So when we sing hymns, we sing about a present Christ, here for us, for the forgiveness of sins. We, we sing about a God who actually shows up. Emmanuel means God with us. So that as we, we, we deal with these things, um, in, in all of it, when we deal with the signs, the signs of the end times, the signs given to us right here and right now, the signs of the Old Testament uh, that, that pointed towards Christ, we can always look to the one same thing that is consistent all the way through, which is actually what binds this whole season together. When we call Advent, we don't just sort of mean pre-Christmas, but actually kind of just a little bit of the end of the world, but mostly pre-Christmas. What we mean is God shows up to help his people. So where does God show up to help his people? How does God show up to help his people? Can I be a part of that where God is helping his people? Because, you know, I need help. Look to the signs and then look to what they point to. And the signs become wonderful things. Because I know what they are to, to see. And so I can do that in church. Is it a wonderful thing that God would give us communion this day? Yes. Is it a wonderful thing that there is fear and foreboding upon the earth then? Yeah, actually, I'm cool with it. You know why? Look to the fig tree. Lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. This is good news. This is a promise. 
Because as we see the sign, I'm not going to lose sight of this, the thing the sign is pointing to for what the sign actually is. Communion isn't just sort of a time that we sit back and remember Jesus back then. We can look to what the sign means. It means God is with us now. The fear and foreboding upon the earth. They don't just make us lose sight of everything it's promised because uh, I don't like being foreboded upon. I don't know how to say that. I don't like being afraid. Um, but I can look to what the signs point to. They mean that God is coming again soon. In the same way, I can look back to Christmas and I can say, we can actually celebrate Christmas without dressing up little children in bathrobes and pretending that they're shepherds. Because, you know, you recreating that doesn't actually make it happen. It points to the fact that God was with us. And so whether or not you can find the right Christmas spirit, look to what the signs point to. A whole bunch of people that couldn't find the right Christmas spirit still received Christ. God with us. That's Advent. That's Emmanuel. You kind of with me here? Your questions or comments? All right. Well, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all so much for your time.